I had the chance the other day to, um, uh, to go to a business that I had not been to before. It was around the corner of the janitorial supply place. We were buying some stuff for mission project that we have coming up. And, uh, and I'm in there. I've been in there for a few minutes, and I'm meeting the folks that work there. And at one point, I'm in the back of the building. This is not going to shock most of you. I'm in the back of the building, and I'm talking to a guy uh, who has a little son. And um, like the picture's in the office. He's got like all this basketball gear on, and he's a big like basketball fan. And so um, we're talking about uh, um, how much he likes basketball. So I start talking about, you know, I know a little about basketball and had the chance to, you know, work for this team and work for that team. And at one point, in the, I've been there for a few minutes, and I'm telling a story that happened just 20 years ago, which is just the other day. Right? Amen? Uh, you know, I'm telling a story for, that happened just the other day, 20 years ago, and in the middle of the story, I realize I cannot remember not one name, but two names from the story, right? So it's like, wah, wah, the worst story I've ever told. Well, probably not that. I've told worse stories. But it's, it's, it, it's going terrible, and I'm standing there in front of this guy, and I'm like, yeah, you remember the guard that played for the Sonics, and he couldn't shoot, and he was really good, and he was like, Gary Payton, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that guy, and he was like, this is a terrible story, you act like you know these guys, but you don't even remember their names, and, and I walk out of there, he didn't say that, but I'm thinking that, I walk out of there going, it's so tough when you're 100 years old, and you can't remember names anymore, right, yeah. and the next day, I'm sitting down with someone, and, uh, and they say a thing, and I say a thing, and we both say, like, almost at the same time, the exact same sentence, which is this, which is this, <clears throat> I am more and more certain that I am less and less certain of anything, right? Because, because, because my brain doesn't work the way it used to. I don't remember stuff. I don't recall stuff. And, and, then, and then the world just gets complex. And I'm, so, so I'm more and more certain that I'm less and less certain of some things. But, but I started making a little list of things I am certain of, right? And it's not an exhaustive list, and it's, it's it, it, only half of it's like preachery. Like, we'll start with the non-preachery thing. Like, I'm more and more certain. I'm, in fact, I'm convinced of this, that if you put too much of your heart into following a sports team, you're going to have your heart, ten, your heart broken, right? <laughs> right? So I don't know if there's any, anybody in the room that considers themselves a Braves fan, but to see the Washington Nationals possibly win the World Series in the next couple of days, knowing that the Braves are better than the Nationals, Right? And I don't think we have any Nationals fans in the room, but if we do, I, I, good for y'all, I guess, you know? You know, I, like we're, driving, we're driving across town yesterday, and, um, and Julie's looking at the phone, and she's like, oh, is she in the room? Um, oh, my gosh. And, she, and I'm like, what? You know, who, who passed away? And she's like, Tennessee beat South Carolina. Okay, and for everybody that is smart and doesn't care about that, what that means is Tennessee, who's god-awful, right, um, uh, beat the team that beat Georgia, right? You know, so like, you know, so they're going to just, I'm certain that sports is going to break your heart. I'm also certain that parenting is hard. Fact. I'm also certain that marriage is really hard, but it gets easier. Just hang in there. And, and, and I'm certain, and I'm certain in the end that, that he's got the whole world in his hands. But, but I'll say this, I'll say this just real quick. Um, if, 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 if you were, it, it, I, so here, what are you certain of, right? 
And, and if you were to go to make a list of it, how, how long is your list? What are you certain of and how long is your list? Is it, is it like this long? Or, or, or maybe, maybe, maybe I'm misreading the room. Maybe, maybe it's that long or maybe it's that long. Maybe, maybe there's some of you that are super certain of a lot of things. But here, here, here's what I'm pretty certain of. However long your list is of the things you're certain of, there's another list of the things you're not certain of. And it's just longer. I mean, I, I've got a list of things I'm certain of, but then I've got this. Because, because everything I'm certain of, like, like, for instance, I'm certain that tomorrow is not promised. And, and we've had, and you guys know this, and we've had, we've had three or four people that we're close to pass away in the last like two months that weren't supposed to right that weren't supposed to from from my neighbor to 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 cindy to jennifer that weren't supposed to i'm certain tomorrow's not promised but but i could also rephrase it to say i'm also not certain about tomorrow so so when we read the letter of 1 John, when we read this, this first letter of John, what's, what's beautiful is in a world in which there are competing ideas around what is certain and what is not certain, and, 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 and maybe, maybe wisdom brings a, actually some uncertainty, John says there are some things we can be certain of. And what's fascinating is the way he says that is, is this phrase that he repeats over and over and over again. And it sounds like this. This is how we know. In fact, in chapters 3, 4, and the first of 5, he says it six different times. Same phrase. Six different times. This is how we know. And then every once in a while he'll spice it up and he'll say, this is how you know. It's the same thing. This is how we know. This is how you know. This is how we know. We, what, what's he saying? This is how we can be certain of this thing in a world that, that does not offer a lot of certainty. We can be certain of this thing. So I invite you to turn to the scriptures with me as we pick up where we left off last week. It's 1 John chapter 3. And I think we're like maybe two verses or so after we were last week. Last week, where, we, uh, where, where, we're, where we're talking about sin. And he, and he really continues, continues the teaching, and he says this in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have transferred from death to life because we love the brothers and sisters. The person who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So who's John quoting right here? I'm not done yet, but, but who's John quoting right here in, uh, in, in, in verse 15? Who's he quoting? Anybody got the standard Jesus, uh, Sunday school answer? What is the standard Sunday school answer? Anytime anybody, the teacher asks you a question, you know the answer, it's Jesus, right? So who's he quoting? Try. Yes, yeah. Where, where, where did Jesus say this? Anybody remember? In the Bible, good answer. <clears throat> good answer. That's the crowd today. Um, yes, yes. 
Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses like 21 and 22. Jesus said, you have heard it was said anyone who commits murder is a bad guy, right? You know, like, you shall not murder. He said, Jesus said, uh, you have heard it said you shall not commit murder. But I tell you, anyone who looks upon another person with anger has done the exact same thing. And so he's just quoting Jesus. Which begs the question, okay, we've been talking about sin, but now he starts talking about love, and all of a sudden, in the middle of his little, like, little lesson on love, he starts talking about hate. Why would John do that? Except that he's aware that there are two alternatives that our lives can go. We can go towards hate, or we can go towards the opposite. And John is is proposing to us that our life will be better if we turn away from hate and choose love. Because hate leads to death, and hate's the same as murder, and, and there are more than one victim in a murder. It's not just the person laying on the ground. It's us as well. And so he, and so he wraps it up with this. Here we go. This is how we know love. What's he saying? This is something we can be certain of. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is the word of God for we the people of God and we say together, thanks be to God. Now, um, I'm going to keep reading because John's so good, I don't want to leave anything out. He says this, that he offers a mini-sermon in the next three verses. And you guys wishes, wish you could hear mini-sermons. But um, he offers a mini-sermon, right? And it's, and it's really tied up, and, and it's, it's, it's really neat and tidy. What he says is, so I'm going to tell you about love, and then I'm going to show you what love looks like. But if a person has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, and that person doesn't care, how can the love of God remain in him? Little children, that's not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts in God's presence. So, so yesterday we uh, were leaving Atlanta Bread Company after like a late lunch, and Julie and the boys get in one car, and then I'm going to go across the parking lot and get another car and they're going to go to the house and I'm going to go up to visit folks in the hospital and, um, and as soon as their door closes and I make this first step, here comes a guy, right? And he walks up and he says, excuse me, sir, um, do, you, uh, do you, have any, you have any cash? And I'm like, yeah, you know, um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't give out cash, you know, uh, typically... Um, and I give him the standard line, which is the truth. That's why I, I still say it, uh, because there are some people um, who will tell you that they want to spend cash on one thing, and then they're going to spend it on something else. And he was like, yeah, I, I get that. And I was like, what if, what if I bought you something to eat? And he was like, actually, I just ate. Um, I, I'm good. I, uh, I just need, um, I need some food. I mean, I need some money for, uh, to wash my clothes. And I was going to go get some laundry detergent, and there's the coin laundry right across the street. So I start talking to him a little bit, and um, he's, he's a veteran, and, uh, and he had a house, and he doesn't have a house. House got broken into, it was a trailer, got broken into, and um, he's living on the back 
porch of an abandoned trailer. But his plan, he was excited to tell me his plan, is that this Friday when he gets his very small disability check, that um, he's going to go to the Target, because he didn't have a car, he walks around, um, and he's going to buy a tent. He was in the Army for six years. He's going to buy a tent, because he's got a place picked out right near Carl Vinson, between Carl Vinson and Watson and back in that neighborhood. He's got a place picked out that he thinks nobody will bother him, and he's going to live in a tent. person has material possessions sees her brother or sister in need and that person doesn't care how can the love of god remain in him let's not love with words or speech but with action and truth so i um i broke my rule and i gave him a little bit of cash for the laundry it, it, we'll see if he used it for that or not. But then, but then I gave him my phone number because because he's been to he's been to Vector before and he met somebody really nice there. But it, it, at the time he didn't need the housing assistance they were offering, but now he needs the housing assistance. And I was like, hey, we know some people at Vector. You know the the, the veterans place that's behind um, Huntington Middle School over here. And I was like, hey, when when you're ready, call me. We will get you a ride there. We will put you in the right place with the people. And, and I said, I said, I mean, you don't have a car, but we can get you groceries. I mean, you know, we, we, we want to help you. And, and we do because, because we have and he doesn't have. And the gospel says that we can't love with just words or sermons. We got to put it into action. And, and, and I love what, what the way J.D. Walt has captured, right in the middle of the passage that we've just read, it, he's captured what he calls the second half of the gospel. And for all the other words I offer, I really just want to focus on that for the next few minutes, the second half of the gospel. And, and, and it begs the question, well, if, if you're about to tell us about the second half of the gospel, just, just for pretend, let's... Um, how about you tell us what the first half of the gospel is? And so that's fair. That's fair. The first half of the gospel, which we already know this, uh, the first half of the gospel says that we are sinners that need to be made right, and we can't do it on our own. And so the church calls this justification. And, you, and you've seen the pictures and the cartoons, and you've, and, and you've followed the, 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 the course in Romans, and you, you studied in Sunday school. It says that we were on the accounting ledger side that says we were sinners and that we were wrong and we were against God, but that because of Jesus we've been moved from, from the debit side to the credit side, right? You know, that, 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 that they're, two, like, they're two steep cliffs with a chasm in between, but that because of the cross we're able to walk over from death to life. You've seen that, right? That's the first half of the gospel. And there's a signature verse, and we all know it, there's a signature verse that goes with the first half of the gospel. And you know what it is. It's John 3.16, which says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that the world would not perish but have eternal life. Right? John 3.16 goes with the first half of the gospel. The, the first half that says that, that we must be justified because we are not right and we cannot get right on our own. And it's beautiful. The thing is that the church here recently, and by that I mean probably three or four hundred years, the church has been so fixated on the first half of the gospel, getting people into heaven, 
And we really haven't talked a lot about the second half of the gospel. And, and, and listen, and, and this is going to hurt, but for any Falcons fan in the room, you know that it's not enough to play the first half of the Super Bowl. Where are my Saints fans? I mean, my Patriots fans. There they are. There they are right there. Yeah. <clears throat> it's not enough to play the first half and not finish the second half. And if the church fixates on the first half but doesn't spend any time preaching and doing the second half, then we're all wrong the second half of the gospel says once we've been justified we must be sanctified it's not enough to cross over from death to life we now have to be made like him we now have to imitate him we now have to look like jesus this is the second half of the gospel. And the most beautiful thing, and this is sort of what J.D. Walt's angle on it is, the most beautiful thing is the first half of the gospel has a signature verse, John three sixteen. The second half of the gospel has a signature verse, and in God's wisdom, I, there's no other way to explain it, the second half of the gospel's signature verse could be 1 John three sixteen. God knows that we need that kind of help to remember it, right? Read it again. Read it again. What does it say? This is how we can be certain of what love looks like. Why would he start the second half of the gospel? Why would God start the second half of the gospel signature verse with, with being certain of love? Oh yeah, because, because he makes reference to it in what? The first half of the gospel signature verse. For God so loved the world. This is what that love looks like. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So last night, um, Connor, Connor had the chance to play at a fundraiser dinner up in Macon, and Mindy was there, and Julie and I went up there. It was um, to support uh, the campus ministries of the Methodist Church in Macon uh, called, like, the, the Wesley, you know, Wesley Campus Ministries. And uh, um, it, was, it was nice. Connor played some, and then in between, uh, they would have college students to stand up and give testimonials about what Jesus is doing in their life and how the Wesley Foundation is helping them to grow closer to Jesus. It's Perfect, fabulous. It was good. I mean, they, they, they stumbled, and it was just authentic. And then at the end, and you guys know where this is going, it's a fundraiser dinner. So they've got the music, they've got sort of the entertainment kind of piece, and they talk about, and then at the end, Brandon, who is the campus minister, he gets up, and he's two minutes in to doing what? Bringing it home, Right? Like, 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 I need you all to write a check, and I need you to add a zero to whatever you thought you were going to write. You know, that's, that's what he's about to do. And he's two minutes in, and he's doing it, and he's like, hey, God's at work, and God's us, blessing us, and you've seen the evidence right here firsthand with these kids right here, and he's standing on the stage, and I'm sort of in the back of the little, uh, it's, it's on this back terrace thing that they've done at, like, the Museum of Macon up there. It's really nice back there, and, and it's, everything's just right. Everything's just right. And two minutes in, two minutes in, from the back of the room, like, you, like it was timed, and it really was not, comes this super cute little girl. 
She's about this tall, and she's got on brown and orange and gold like a fall festival outfit, right? And she runs up to the stage, and she steps on the stage. She puts her hands up. She's like, Daddy, hold me. And I, and I don't know what everybody else in the room is thinking, but I'm like, wow, what are you going to do? Because <laughs> like the next year's worth of ministry, which includes your paycheck and your housing, and your insurance and food on the table, like kind of hinges on the next couple of minutes, right? But you also can't like, force her away you know you can't turn to your wife and say why didn't you have better care of the kid i mean you know are you with me like it's a moment right there and he does he does exactly the right thing and he he picks her up and she turns out she's a ham right and she leans into the microphone and she's like hey you know (laughs) and i'm going okay we're gonna see how this goes and so he's like yeah you know you know uh just want you to be generous and she's like daddy i mean you know and she keeps interrupting him she keeps interrupting him at one point she uh she's like my daddy's 34 now i mean just it's just (laughs) random stuff and and i'm going okay we were gonna give but i okay and and again I'm, i'm standing in the back and i'm watching this you can see there's connor and there's brandon i went up and asked the little girl's name last night and got permission to use the photo her name's Ainsley Jane. And I hear Jesus say, unless you become like these little ones, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I'm standing there going, okay, what about Ainsley interrupting her dad right now Jesus, is it that you want me to be like? Serious question. And then I realize Jesus wants me to be like Ainsley because she's certain. She's certain that if she walks up at any point, any night, any situation, and puts her arms up, her dad's going to pick her up. That her dad's not going to turn her away, and that her dad's going to love her. She's certain of that. And we're called to be that certain. I mean, could it be that, that to capture the second half of the gospel and to be the church that we're called to believe requires certainty? L- let, me ask, let me ask this question. What was it that Moses possessed when he walked in to the grand hall of Pharaoh with nothing but a wooden stick in his hand? What was, it, what was it that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego possessed when they were being pushed into the fiery furnace? 
What was it that Daniel possessed when he walked alone into the lion's den? Or, or what was it that Jesus had when he carried his own execution machine up to a hill in the shape of a skull? Or Mary, who let it all happen right in front of her eyes. They were all certain of the love of God that would make it right. So what's stopping the church from living out the second half of the gospel? What's stopping the church from laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters? What's stopping the church from submitting our selfishness and giving to others the very love that we're commanded to do except uncertainty? If I were certain that God's in control and God's going to make it all right, I'd have no excuse not to love my brother or sister. And yet the truth is, I have all kinds of excuses that stop me from loving my brother and sister. Let me try some out. Well, I'm having a hard time loving my brother or sister because they're wrong. You know, because they live like this and they do like this and I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling to love them because they're wrong. Or, or I'm, I'm struggling to love them because, because they hurt someone I care about. Or I'm struggling to love them because they've hurt me. Or I'm struggling to love them because, this is real, okay? I'm struggling to love them because I'm afraid that if I love them, someone else will see me and then they'll judge me. And what is any of that except a lack of confidence that God will make it all right? Could it be that the church just fails in confidence and that's what keeps us from loving each other? If, if, if sin is a lack of faithfulness, Our lack of love is based on our uncertainty. And John writes us to tell us there is a power that is available that we can be certain of. We have the power to no longer sin. We have the power to replace hate and hurt with love and goodness, and we can be at peace about it. And it can be every day if we'll just believe. I didn't mean to make y'all all so quiet. 
It's not enough to get the first half right and then not play the second half. Let's pray. God, we can't do what you're calling us to do live blameless, love each other unconditionally, be like Jesus. Without your supernatural intervention in our lives. We do not possess what it takes. And yet you tell us that it's free for the taking. And that we can be certain of it. Lord, I, I'm just convicted that every single one of us needs to spend time confessing that we have not loved each other the way you have commanded. And that every single one of us needs to confess that, that our lack of love is directly connected to our lack of faithfulness in you, our lack of certainty that you will make it all right, that our job is to not be God, our job is to love each other. So heal our heart. Comfort our hurt. And forgive us, we pray. And if we need more time to do it, be with us. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.